This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have Tributes to Bravery, a Canadian broadcasting company report on the Dieppe Raid of August 19, 1942. This production is from a few days after the battle and salutes the Canadian troops who made up the majority of Allied forces in the raid. For more on the raid and the history of the battle, be sure to check out our other episodes from earlier this week. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be sure to visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcasts, where you can find links to past episodes as well as any of the books featured in our podcasts. So thanks for listening. Enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. This is Ronnie Peltier speaking to you from London. Tonight, I have two statements by leading Canadians on our participation in the Dieppe Raid. Last night, you heard from General A.G.L. McNaughton, the commander of the Canadian Army overseas. Tonight's two statements, which you will be hearing for the first time, complete the picture. They mean that you in Canada will now have heard an expression of opinion on the Dieppe Raid from the highest authority in three branches of Canadian life in Britain, the Army, the Air Force, and the civilians. First, we are to hear from the Air Force. This morning, at RCAF Overseas Headquarters, the Air Officer Commanding-in-Chief, Royal Canadian Air Force Overseas, Air Marshal Harold Edwards, paid tribute to those Canadians who flew the skies above Dieppe. Even as our Canadians were fighting on the ground, so were the men from our Dominion doing battle with the enemy in the sky over the Channel and the continent. Here, then is a statement issued from headquarters by Air Marshal Edwards, spoken for us by Flying Officer Jack Peach, Radio Officer, RCAF Overseas. In the last few days of this week, the world has come to learn much of the gallant raid carried out by the Allied forces on the continental port of Dieppe. Canada has every right to be proud and humble. Proud because of the great deeds of her heroic sons humble in the face of the great sacrifice made by many of them. We of the Royal Canadian Air Force overseas pay tribute to the officers and men of the Canadian Army overseas, for they have proven themselves to be superb in the field. It was the privilege of our fighter squadrons and of our Army cooperation squadrons to take part in this great battle. It has been likened unto that other vast aerial combat, the Battle of Britain. Time and time again, pilots with their aircraft refueled and rearmed sped from their aerodromes back into the scene of the struggle. They flew high on the crest of excitement and fired with a determination to free the skies over Dieppe from the menace of the Hun. Knowing full well that down there below them, fellow Canadians, men from their own cities, villages, and farms were smashing their way into a German fortress, our Royal Canadian Air Force pilots struck at the enemy as never before. Now all the world knows what happened that day. 
the young pilots of Canada's Air Force proved themselves worthy of their predecessors who fought in the Battle of Britain. They too lacked one thing, mercy. They asked for none, they gave none, and their victory was a glorious one which we shall never forget. It was not only a day for the pilots. Again, as in times gone by, the ground crews worked like Trojans. They kept the aircraft flying. They cheered on their pilots, and they took no rest until the job was done. They deserve great credit. The vaunted Luftwaffe is licking deep-cut wounds, for we have shown what we can do and will do as the months go by. I extend to the ground and air personnel whose heroism over Dieppe is a lesson in courage and determination to us all my heartfelt thanks and praise for what they did that day for the Allied cause. Air Marshal Edwards' statement tonight, together with General McNaughton's message last night, completes the picture insofar as the leaders overseas of Canada's soldiers and airmen is concerned. And now, the Right Honorable Vincent Massey, who is seated beside me here in the studio, wishes to speak to you in Canada, not so much as Canada's representative in Britain, but rather as one Canadian abroad to all Canadians at home. Mr. Massey. I spent Thursday afternoon in a great Canadian hospital in a southern county where my wife and I had the opportunity of talking to about 200 Canadian soldiers who had been wounded at Dieppe. Some of them had just arrived. None of them had been there for more than a few hours. Some were gravely wounded, others less severely. They came from many parts of Canada. They were men from Montreal, some with French as their mother tongue, from Toronto, from Hamilton, from Windsor, Ontario, from Winnipeg, from Saskatchewan. A few of them had been born abroad, but they were all Canadians and proud to be Canadians, and they filled me with pride to be a fellow countryman. These men have written a new word on Canada's banner. The app is now linked for all time with Ypres and Vimy and the Somme. We honor these soldiers who have given our national name new luster. Our hearts go out to those at home who are shadowed by anxiety or whose path is darkened by sorrow. I shall never forget the impression that my visit to that hospital made upon my mind. In ordinary times, I've always found something a little forbidding about the machinery of a hospital, but this was different. Two things made it different. One was the quiet courage and the magnificent spirit of all those men who had just been admitted to its wards. They had all gone through the fire and had seen war in its naked fury in those few hours off the coast of France and on the beaches at Dieppe. Some of them were still patiently awaiting the operations necessary to give them relief. There were two things which they had in their minds. I heard them express time and again. One was, well, we gave them the works. The other, I want to get a crack at them again as soon as I can. You would have been deeply moved if you had heard them talk, and very, very proud. The other thing that makes this hospital something to remember is the spirit of its staff. For hours, cases had been coming from the coast. The operating rooms had been busy without a break since the first stretcher arrived. Emergency rooms had been prepared. 
An augmented team of surgeons and nurses had worked without rest since the beginning, and there was still much to do. The hospital gave a picture of superb teamwork, engaged in the relief of suffering and the saving of life. Every movement was marked by experience and skill. But these things by themselves tell only half the story. Healing is both a science and an art. And tenderness and humanity were there in full measure, as well as the efficiency that comes of long training. I can tell you that everything was being done for our men that human heart and human hand could do. No one who saw what I did could ask why Canada is famous for her doctors and her nurses. There was humor, too. A stretcher bearer had brought back from Dieppe as a proud trophy, the paybook of a German army dentist. Another soldier had a souvenir in the shape of a waterlogged cap with a swastika at the front, and also a set of German playing cards, still wet with seawater. This boy had had three birthdays in the Canadian Army in England. He had only now celebrated his 20th. In the same ward was a grizzled sergeant on whose tunic under the bed I saw the ribbon of the DCN from the last war. Another thing we heard on all sides was an honest, moving tribute to the Royal Navy and the Air Force and the support which they had given. This had been a combined operation in very truth, and the three services had been integrated like clockwork. The Navy was grand, said one boy, and a naval seaman from that great service, a few beds away, grinned appreciatively. It was a humbling experience to visit that hospital, to see pain bravely borne, to see suffering relieved. There were some great human qualities one saw there in being, courage and constancy and kindliness. There was one supreme idea in the minds of all who lay on those beds and of those who tended them, to do their best. The men of Dieppe have stirred our hearts. They have set us an unforgettable example. Thank you, Mr. Massey, for your moving tribute. For two nights now, the CBC microphone in Britain has brought you stories spoken by Canadians who went to Dieppe. Tonight's broadcast, the last of the series, will conclude with more of these stories obtained for you by two of the CBC's war correspondents in Britain, Bob Bowman and Jerry Wilmot. The first man to speak to you is Sergeant Arthur Souchard of St. Mary's, Ontario, who was with the headquarters of a brigade the intelligence section to be exact, and who should know what went on. Sergeant Souchard. Who wants to know what went on? Hello, dear. Don't worry. I've got a shattered elbow, but it will be all right eventually. And believe it or not, I've lost part of a big toe. But I'm really lucky to have got off even as easily as this, and I'm feeling fine. And you look grand, uh, Sergeant Souchard. It's a real tribute to you that you keep so cheerful with that nasty elbow. And I'm not forgetting about the big toe either. Well, now, uh, will you tell us what you saw? Well, I can add something to what Sapper Stratton has already told you because I was on the same TLC. He was up near the bridge, but I was closer to the stern and got hurt by a shell which killed the helmsman. 
Another shell exploded in the engine room and killed the ship's engineers. The tanks were off then, and our job was to get out. But with nobody in the engine room, there seemed to be little chance. Captain Garno got busy then and found a Marine sergeant who knew something about engines. And he went down and got them going. Meanwhile, I stood near the door of the engine room and relayed messages to him from two Navy fellows who directed operations from the deck. They'd just call out right or left, and I'd pass that along. That's how we got out, because our steering equipment was broken. All this time, of course, we were under heavy artillery and machine gun fire, which was beyond imagination. It was so heavy. I suppose uh, calling out right or left, that meant you were steering with the engines, eh? Steering with the engines, as far as I know. Um... And you were hurt at that time, but you were still standing there and yelling the stuff down, eh? That's quite true. Well, did you manage to see any of the action on shore? Yes, I did see some action through glasses. Saw the Essex Scots advance against heavy enemy fire, and they showed no sign of panic. Just kept moving forward. Because I was in the intelligence section, I also heard the RHLI capture their first objective, which was the casino. And they were still going strong. Then I saw the commanding officer of the Calgary tanks go ashore. And I know he later attacked a machine gun post on foot. Later again, he got into a motor launch, which was on fire. But I think he had a chance of getting away all right. In fact, there were many acts of heroism, more than I can tell you. Brigadier, for instance, he was badly wounded. He lay in a stretcher and directed operations from there. Then I told you about Captain Garner, who organized our getting away. Then there was the naval second lieutenant, who directed operations from the bridge when the captain was blown off. He was marvelously cool. That was Bob Bowman interviewing Sergeant Souchard of St. Mary's, Ontario. Now, here is Sergeant Major Frank Mathers of Estevan, Saskatchewan, talking to Jerry Wilmot. The Sergeant Major is the first to speak. Uh, one of our sections <coughs> was advancing into uh, machine gun fire. There were two light machine guns firing on them. Our boys were moving up on them, flanking them, and going to get them. When they saw that they were due to be captured, are taken. Two of them, beside the guns, got up and waved their handkerchiefs, white handkerchiefs, and our boys stood up to move in to take them prisoner. As soon as our boys stood up, there were other men at the guns. They opened fire on them. They knocked our boys down there. That's the way the Jerry fights. Uh, Sergeant Major, I believe there was one of your lads in particular whose work you noticed over there that uh, I would like you very much to tell us about, if you will. Yes, I would like to tell you about Private Charlie Sodden of Maple Creek, Saskatchewan. His platoon was held up. They were in front of a pillbox with a mortar in it, firing four-inch mortar. It's heavy stuff and it's dangerous and it hits hard. The platoon couldn't go any further without them getting that out of the way. He handed his rifle to one of the other boys, took some 36 grenades, which are our mills grenades, and walked up to it and threw them in. He took five Jerry's out of there. He got it and he got back and all he was worrying about while he was going up there was to call back to one of the other boys. When he come up, bring up my rifle. Is good for him, and is he back okay? He's back okay. He'll be with us. He's right on shape. Well, there's nothing I can add to the stories of the men themselves and to the tributes paid to them by the highest Canadian authorities. The story of Dieppe has already been written for history in terms of endurance, blood, and heroism. As time passes, the story of Dieppe will be written in all Canadian hearts in the words of our own fighting men. And so you have been listening to the last of the series of special programs about the Dieppe Raid, transmitted from Britain and prepared by the London office of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Good night, Canada.